I am Pastor Jake. I'm the lead pastor here at Great Oaks. Glad that you are here. Uh, If you have your Bible, you can grab it. Head over to your favorite book in the Bible, Philemon. Favorite book? Did I nail that? No? It's it's the one, I know it's your favorite. Like, it's got highlighting and different colors. You wrote in the margins. Like, if you dropped your Bible, it would just open automatically to Philemon, right? Because you've been there all week studying for this message today. I know that about you. Uh, And so grab it. Go to Philemon. If you don't have a Bible, you can uh, grab your... um, phone or your tablet, head over to the YouVersion Bible app, click event, and you'll see all of our uh, notes for today. We're on there, and uh, you can follow along that way if you want to. Um, But we are in a summer series called Small Fry, where we're just talking through, verse by verse, uh, the the more overlooked books of the New Testament. And so, uh, because while all of us would, would agree today that all of the Bible is the Bible, right? That all of the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit and is the Word of God, uh, most of us, if we're honest, kind of know the platinum albums, right? We just kind of know the big ones. Like we know Genesis, we know Isaiah, we, we might know Jeremiah, uh, we, we definitely have read Psalms, Proverbs, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? We got that down. Uh, you might know some Acts, maybe Romans, uh, but we know the big ones. We, we may even have some scriptures memorized from them, but most of us, it's been a while since we grabbed our Bible and spent a long time in Jude, right? Um, it's been a while since you studied Philemon or even read Philemon. And so in this series, we're just going through Jude, Philemon, Second John, and Third John, the smallest books, the small fries of the New Testament, and just allowing God to speak to us uh, through them. And so uh, we've been in Jude the last five weeks in this series uh, talking about fighting for faith because that's what Jude was talking about. And so if you missed any of those, you can go to iTunes or our website, get those messages online. But today we will study Philemon, start Philemon, two weeks on Philemon. And we'll talk about forgive with love. So fight for faith, forgive with love. And then we'll get into four weeks on Second and Third John. And uh, we'll talk about fellowship and truth. So fight, faith, forgive, fellowship, fries, lots of F words. Let's get going. Second service, wake up, wake up guys, come on, Prime. get it primed, come on, let's do this. Let me start uh, with some good news this morning. You guys want some good news? Um, good news, here it is. I can't trust any of you guys. I just can't, did I say good news? I meant bad news, bad news. I can't trust you, I can't trust any of you, and you can't trust me either, not really, not completely. But none of us are trustworthy, right? Not totally trustworthy. If you think you are, you're mistaken. You're, you're not. I can't trust any of you guys. I'm about to start calling names out. No, I'm kidding. It's all of you. I can't, I can't trust you. And we could all kind of give examples of this, that we're not trustworthy, that people in our lives aren't trustworthy, that, that there are people who let us down. We're all that way. We could give examples. I could give examples. But instead, I'm just going to throw some scripture at you with this idea so you know I'm not getting it from me. Psalm 146.3 says, Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. So don't put your trust in princes. And we all go, I don't have a prince, so I don't have that problem, right? Uh, and so maybe this is just talking about sneaky princes. Like maybe that's just de- deception through royalty. And so we don't have to put our trust in that, so maybe we're good there. Well, check out Isaiah 2.22. It says, Stop trusting in mere humans who have but a breath in their nostrils. Why hold them in esteem? Okay, so it's not just princes, right? Not just sneaky princes we have to watch out for. It's humans, everybody. Look at Psalm 60. It'll make you feel great this morning. It says in verse 11, give us aid against the enemy for human help is worthless. Human help is what? Worthless. Doesn't that just make you feel good about the help you can give other people? Because you're human, right? Human help, help is Worthless. And then one more to make you feel good today. Jeremiah 17, 5. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man. Cursed is the man who trusts in man. I can't trust any of you guys. And you can't trust any of you either, right? You can't trust me. Why? Because we're not trustworthy. We're imperfect. We're sinners. And sinners, by definition, get this, sin. They sin. We sin. That's what they do. That's what we do. 
So if you walked into church today thinking you're joining together with a bunch of perfect people because you're at a church, you're mistaken. In fact, I would say this. If you haven't been hurt at Great Oaks by people at Great Oaks, just give it some time. Just give it some time. We will jack you up, all right? We will jack you up because we're sinners. We're imperfect. We make mistakes, right? Like if you haven't been hurt by Great Oaks, just... Give it some, somebody will do something to make you mad, hurt your feelings, let you down. Listen, most likely it'll be me, right? Most likely I'll say something that makes you mad. It's going to happen because you can't trust us. We're not trustworthy. We're sinners. If you're a visitor today, you're like, what kind of church did I just walk into, right? I just want to be honest. No false expectations, no hypocrisy. We are messed up because we're human. Cursed is the man who trusts in man. Don't trust us, we will fail you. And here's the thing, if you ever find a perfect church, don't go in, Because <laughs> you'll mess it up. <laughs> right? If you find a perfect church, just leave it alone because you will mess that thing up because you are imperfect, you are, you are sinful. And it's not just us or, or them, it's you, it's me, it's, it's everybody. We're all in the same boat, so, so what do we do about this? Well, one thing people do is they go, well, if no one's trustworthy, then I'm just going to do life alone. I'm just going to live apart from people. I'm just going to do it myself. If no one's trustworthy, then I'll, I'll just live by myself and just depend on myself. Or we Christianize it and we say, it'll be just me and God, right? I'll just depend on God alone and I don't need people. I'll just do church at home by myself with my Bible. I don't need those hypocrites. I'll just do church by myself. Me, church of one, two, three, four, four, church of four. Trinity? Okay, all right. We'll isolate and we'll insulate and we'll push everyone away. That's how some of you have dealt with this reality. And yet the Bible says that God made you and me with this default core basic need for each other, right? For community. It's not good for man to be alone. God said, let us make man in our image. So inherent in the, in the nature of the triune God that created you and me in his image is this idea of community, is this idea of relationship, right? Three but one, one but three. And so the Old Testament, most of it is written with the context of the community of Israel in mind. The New Testament is written with the context of the community of the church in mind, that we are a body made up of different parts. We have different functions and jobs and roles, but we're moving together towards one goal, one purpose, one mission, right? God designed it this way. You were created with this need, this basic need, this basic desire for other people. And then there are the one another commands in the Bible, around 58 commands in the New Testament that you just can't fulfill by yourself. So if you say you're going to do Christianity alone without other people, then you haven't yet read these 58 commands in the, in the New Testament. Romans 12.10 says, Love one another with brother, brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. 2 Corinthians 13.11, Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Galatians 5.13, Through love, serve one another. Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to one another. So, how do we deal with these two realities. On one hand, you can't trust me and I can't trust you. We're going to mess this thing up. We are sinful and relationships are destined to fail. But on the other hand, God created you and me to live life together, to live life not isolated and insulated from one another, but together. And he not only created us that way, but he commanded us to do life together. So we've got these two polar opposites, this tension. How do we deal with that? You see, what happens is that out of this need for other people, we, we do reach out and we form relationships. We trust, we give, we serve, we depend. And then sin happens, right? Selfishness, pride, anger, lust, greed, jealousy, envy. And we get hurt. We get betrayed, spit on, given up on, abused, used, crushed left. It's a mess, isn't it? 
There are several things in life that are guarantees. The phrase says death and taxes are the only two, but there are much more than that. Like one is that you're going to be hurt. People are going to hurt you. It's a guarantee. It's a guarantee, isn't it? People are going to hurt you. The only way that you can get through life without being burned, hurt, beat up, killed, soul ripped out, spit upon, taken advantage of, the only way that you can do life without those things happening is that you live on an island away from everybody in a bubble and never have uh, any community with anybody else, any interaction with any other human being ever. That's your only shot, right? And if we went around the crowd today, if we passed the mic around, all of us could tell stories of betrayal, people hurting us, people taking advantage of us, people stealing from us, because it's real, isn't it? I mean, can anyone raise their hand this morning and just go, not me? (laughs) Never been hurt before. Never been betrayed before. Never been in one of those situations. Nobody's ever done anything wrong to me. Never been wounded. No way. Everyone in here has experienced this. Life with other sinners is tough, isn't it? It's just tough. And if you're not a Christian, you can just write people off. You can just move on. You can just live life alone. You can go from relationship to relationship to relationship and never look at yourself and just live alone in the end because you can't trust anybody. But what I want you to hear today is that if you're a Christ follower, you must live in relationship with other people. You have to live in relationship with other people. Now now follow me here. If that's true, if community is a must and its failure is guaranteed by you and my, you, you and my sinfulness, right? Its failure is guaranteed by our sinfulness. Then the key to this has to be things like confrontation, forgiveness, confession, reconciliation, Right? I mean, the key with these two tensions has got to be things like that. Listen, life with other messed up people is a mess. There's no getting around it. You can't trust them. They will let you down and you will let them down. It's a mess. As a Christ follower, you're called to step into that mess. You're called to be okay with the mess, to step into it, confront, forgive, reconcile, Repeat, right? If you follow Jesus, forgiveness is not a choice you make. It's a choice you made. Tracking with me? If you're following Jesus, if you're a Jesus follower, forgiveness is not a choice you're making when people do you wrong. Forgiveness is a choice you made back when you gave your life to Jesus. You already made this decision. Because when you gave your life to Christ, you signed up for forgiveness. You signed up for confrontation and confession. You can't be a Christian and refuse to forgive. It's impossible. Why? Because becoming a Christian means you accepted the forgiveness of God in Christ yourself, doesn't it? And you can't accept the forgiveness of God and not give it to others. It's not an option. And yet many of us try, right? We have this attitude where we take, 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 but I will not give. I will take forgiveness and mercy, but I will not give it. Or more specifically, I will not give it to them. I might give it to these people over here, but not them. Not them. Yeah. That puts us into the same category as the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18. Jesus in Matthew 18 tells a parable about a master who had this servant who owed him a ton of money, like millions of dollars, like way more than he could pay back in a lifetime. And, and this servant came to him and pleaded with him, please, master, have mercy on me. And the, the master looked at his servant and granted mercy. He says, you don't have to pay me back. You don't have to do anything like that. Your debt is forgiven. No strings attached. This is like a pretty sweet deal, Right? And the servant says, thank you, master. And he walks out, in, out of the, into the courtyard where there are other servants and he finds another servant and he grabs him and this servant owed him like a couple bucks, like some money for a soda, all right? 
And he grabs him and he says, pay back what you owe. And that servant does the same thing as the first servant did with his master. And he goes, he pleads with him, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. I'll pay back what you owe. Just have mercy. What I owe, just have mercy on me. And the first servant looks at the second servant and goes, no. And he throws him into jail until he can pay back what he owes. So the master finds out about this and Jesus ends the parable with what the master says to the first servant and what it means for us. He says, when his master summoned him, or then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Now, I don't know about you, but it seems to me like it'd be pretty hard to pay back debt when you're in jail, right? So I, I think he's going to be in jail a while. He can't pay back the debt. He's basically been given a life sentence. And Jesus says, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, this is not where you and I want to end up, end up, right? We do not want to be in the wicked servant category, do we? Jesus is going, this is not an option. If you can't forgive as you've been forgiven, it's not going to go well for you in the end, no matter how great you think you are in other areas. But this is out of control difficult, isn't it? I mean, I'm well aware about how difficult this is in real life to forgive when you've been hurt and betrayed. That's why I'm thankful for the small fry book of Philemon. It's a book about forgiveness and confrontation, about confession, about the way this works. And it's not a lot of instruction in that as much as it is just an example of how to do confrontation, forgiveness, how to reconcile. And so we have in the the book of Philemon an ancient early church example of godly confrontation and forgiveness. The apostle Paul is the writer of Philemon. So Jude wrote Jude and the apostle Paul wrote Philemon to Philemon, right? And so Philemon is written by the Apostle Paul, and it's all about this other guy named Onesimus. Everybody say Onesimus. You guys say that name very often? Okay, you said it great. You did great. You did so good. Yeah. And so because of sin and imperfection, Philemon and Onesimus have a problem. They have had a falling out. And so the Apostle Paul is writing to Philemon to forgive Onesimus and reconcile. He's confronting him a bit. And what we'll find next week as we get deeper into this letter is that the Apostle Paul is really, really, really good at this. And so we're going to look at what strategies he employs to get this confrontation to be successful and this forgiveness to happen because this stuff is not easy, is it? Confrontation, rebuke, forgiveness, reconciliation. It's not easy, right? As a pastor, I find myself in the middle of this on a regular basis. I find myself in the Apostle Paul's position where I've got two people who say they love Jesus and I'm trying to get them to forgive each other and reconcile. It is not easy. I'll just be honest with you. I've messed it up a few times. It's difficult. It's difficult to do this. But the Apostle Paul gives us this great example of how it should work. Let me give you the backstory so that you know what's going on. Onesimus, uh, great name for a son if you're thinking about naming a son on the way, Onesimus. Uh, we're thinking about maybe having a fourth. If it's son, it's going to be Onesimus. Uh, middle, middle name, the Great. And so Onesimus, the Great Mills. It sounds great, doesn't it? I know you like it. Okay. Um, so Onesimus was servant to Philemon at one time. Why do you guys look at Aaron when I say things like that? Is that... All right. Uh, Onesimus was servant to Philemon at one time and he ran away. And some people have guessed that it was because Philemon was a cruel, harsh master. But if you read the book of Philemon, the Apostle Paul says a lot of good things about Philemon. And uh, he's this godly man and this follower of Christ. And so uh, more people, more scholars believe uh, that it was on the other side, that Onesimus was the one who was in the wrong. And so 
It's possible that Onesimus stole some money, that he was sitting on an errand and he never came back, that he stole some money and he never went back to Philemon, took off, went to Rome to hide. And listen, once he made that decision, um, it was a lifelong decision because this was a capital offense. This was punishable by death, okay? And if he was caught and, and for some reason he wasn't put to death, he would be literally branded on his forehead fugitive or thief. And so this was, he, he could never go back. He could never hit rewind. He could never do anything like that. He'd be killed, branded. So Oni runs away from Phil right? Wasn't funny? I tried. (laughs) Oni runs away from Phil, steals some money, flees the country, and somehow he kind of happens upon Paul, the Apostle Paul, in Rome or on the way to Rome. Maybe, Maybe Onesimus runs out of money and he knows about Paul from his former master Philemon, so he goes to him, whatever, we don't know. But however it happened, Onesimus connects with the Apostle Paul and ends up giving his life to Christ. He becomes one of Paul's most devoted disciples while he's in prison, while Paul is in prison. He's running errands for him, working jobs to pay for the Apostle Paul's expenses. He's helping to grow the church, delivering letters. And so at some point, Onesimus matures in his faith enough to realize that he's got to go back to Philemon and make things right. And maybe he's thinking about Jesus' teaching in, in Matthew 5 where Jesus said, if you come to the altar with a gift and you're ready to present that to God, but you remember that there's a brother, there's somebody who has a problem with you, there's some unforgiven thing, unsettled issue between you and someone else, you're supposed to just leave that gift there, turn around, go to that brother, make things right, then come back and with a clean heart offer this gift to God, right? You remember that out of... Matthew 5, you can check it out uh, this week. Maybe Onesimus is kind of thinking about that and that's what gets him to take this step. Whatever it was during this time, the Apostle Paul is just writing letter after letter after letter. He's just writing tons of letters to churches, young Christians, people that he knows, people that he's mentoring, churches that he's planted. And some of those letters end up in the New Testament, right? And that's where we get a lot of the Apostle Paul's writings. It's, it's in letter form. It's called an epistle. And so he's writing to these churches and he, he just loves writing letters. And, and so... When Onesimus talks to Paul about this, maybe Paul goes, well, here's what I'll do. I'll do what I do best. I'll write a letter. So I'm going to write just a little note. You can go with these next batch of letters to, to wherever they're going. And I'll write this note to Philemon to help you reconcile with him. Because Onesimus is like, man, I don't know if he's going to forgive me. I don't know if it's going to work. And the Apostle Paul goes, oh, he'll forgive you. I'm the Apostle Paul, Right? He has to do what I say. So he writes this letter out and he gives it to Onesimus. He says, you deliver this letter, give it to Philemon, and then reconcile with your former master. Make things right. And because of that, you and I end up with this awesome opportunity to learn about godly forgiveness and confrontation from the Apostle Paul himself. Just this little note he writes to Philemon. So Philemon is not a fan of Onesimus at all. Uh, He stole from him and ran. Last time he saw him, he was not a good person, not a Christ follower, or in any way honest or praiseworthy. And so he he doesn't know things have changed. Philemon doesn't know that Onesimus has given his life to Christ and things have changed. So imagine, just think about for a second, the person that you don't ever talk about, that name that you don't ever mention, like your husband and wife, they know not to talk about this person. You just don't talk about them. Whatever they did to you was big enough that you don't ever talk about. You cut them out of your life or maybe they abandoned you they left you you think about this person who wronged you in a deep and hurtful way that was a fun exercise wasn't it think about this person it just gets your blood kind of boiling and even just thinking about now imagine that you don't know what's been going on with this person for years and they show up at your doorstep Philemon is probably, when he sees Onesimus, I'm guessing there's a moment there where he's like, get him, (laughs) right? He stole my money, get him. This is the guy, this is the guy I told you about. He stole my money, get him. And then Onesimus is like, wait, 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 wait. And he hands him this piece of paper, he hands him this this parchment, (laughs) this letter. And Philemon takes the letter and he begins to read it. Look at what it says, Philemon, verse one. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, 
and Timothy, our brother. Now, Philemon, I'm imagining, is reading this and goes, Paul, a prisoner for God. What? How did this criminal get a letter from the Apostle Paul, right? Like, what is going on? It's like Twilight Zone. Like, this guy comes from his past who he hates, hasn't forgiven, and he's got a letter from the Apostle Paul. He's like, oh my gosh, what is going on? So he keeps reading. Two, Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. Now, if you're Philemon, you're like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. The Apostle Paul sent a letter with my name in it. I've seen this go bad for other people. There are other letters with other names and it didn't go bad, didn't go good for them. And it's with this criminal who I don't, I don't like at all. What is this? It's like when I invite people to my office to talk for a minute after church, before church, during the week. The first thing they always say is, am I in trouble? I'm like, no. Why, why are you saying that? I don't know. It's just weird that you brought me to your office. All right. What do you want to meet at a park next time? I mean, what's, this is where we meet. It's like you just feel like you're in trouble, right? Philemon, same way. He's probably thinking, oh, goodness, I'm going to be in trouble. This is going to be bad. He keeps reading to Philemon, our beloved worker, fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he reads that part and he goes, okay, well, maybe, um, maybe it's going to be okay. He called me his beloved brother, right? That's good. He called my sister, I mean my wife, his sister in Christ. That's a good thing. And so maybe this is going to be okay. And the Apostle Paul is going to ask Philemon to forgive this guy who has absolutely done wrong, who absolutely owes him, who absolutely deserves punishment. But it's the way that he asks That's really interesting. And next week we'll get into what we can learn from the way he goes about this. But first, the Apostle Paul says some things about Philemon that I think we need to look at. And so in this, before he even mentions Onesimus, before he even gets into the hurt and the betrayal and the forgiveness that needs to happen, the reconciliation that needs to happen, the Apostle Paul starts to say these good things about Philemon. You've done this before, right? Where you say good things about the person you want something from? Where you start meetings with, you are doing so good. You're so awesome. Man, I like you a lot. Can I have some money? <laughs> right? And it's just, you're, you're like the big ask is coming, right? And you're, you're like, I'm not going to start with the ask. I'm not going to start with the, hey, you, the conversation. Like, hey, you probably need to work on this. You start with, wow, your dress looks great. You start with, you look beautiful today. You start with something like that. So the Apostle Paul knows this and he begins to write about the good things that he thinks about Philemon. Look at verse four. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Verse 7, for I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So, so I've got one side thing and one main thing I want to talk to you about out of this text. And here's the side thing first. In verse 6, he says, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing in us for the sake of Christ. And I think this is interesting because he, he says, I pray that you'll be really effective in sharing your faith, that it'll be successful, but not just successful. I want it to produce full knowledge of every good thing that is in us in Christ Jesus. And he says full knowledge, every good thing. And so as I studied this, it, it made me think that if he's praying for full knowledge and every good gift, that there must be cases where faith is shared And yet it produces partial knowledge in some of the good things, right? And if we've been a, or when I was thinking about this, um, it just reminded me that we're all on this journey, right? We're all on this journey, even if we've given our lives to Christ, even if we've been a Christian for 40 years, we're all on this journey towards full knowledge of every good thing in Christ. We're all heading there. We're all getting there to full knowledge of every good thing in Jesus. And it's interesting that he says 
that this journey towards full knowledge and every good thing, that, it, that the good things, they're in us. Think about that. That's good news, isn't it? That the good things we're striving after, the good things in Christ, that they're already in us. When you gave your life to Christ, you were made into a new creation. You were made new. You were transformed. Your heart was transformed. Everything you need in Christ has already been given to you. Every good thing, full knowledge of every good thing is already in us. So it's, it's just about being humble enough and teachable enough and hungry enough to keep searching, keep studying, keep going deeper, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. When you feel like you've arrived, like you've got the full knowledge of every good thing, like you can't learn anything else, then you're in a dangerous place, are you not? You are in a dangerous place. He says full knowledge of every good thing that is in us. Just a thought. That was the side thing. The main thing I see in these few verses is that the Apostle Paul mentions Philemon's love for the saints, for other believers, for other people who follow Jesus. He mentions that twice, and he thanks God for Philemon because he hears of his love for all the saints. And then he says that he's derived joy and comfort because all the saints are refreshed in Philemon's love. So the Apostle Paul doesn't, he doesn't seem to be at all impressed with with belief, knowledge, how much Philemon gives to the church, the fact that he lets a, a church group meet in his house, the, the, his great sacrifice for the gospel, or, or anything like that. He's most impressed that Philemon just loves other Christians. Isn't that interesting? It reminds me of John 13. Jesus is with his disciples and it's the last supper it's the last chance one of the last chances for him to kind of impart some wisdom to say something important before he goes to the cross and and he's got all the disciples there and he he just says a new commandment i give to you today i'm gonna give you something new and i can imagine the disciples come around like yes what is it gonna be like we've been with you for three years what is this new commandment give us the secret give us the the secret sauce like what is it He goes, a new commandment I give to you. Love one another. And the disciples are probably like, what? That is not a new commandment. How much new wine you been drinking, Jesus? Right? Too far? All right. (laughs) That's not a new commandment, Jesus. We already knew to love each other. What are you talking about? That's not new. Jesus goes, love one another. Love one another. And then he says in John 13, 35, this is how the world will know that you are mine, that you are my representatives, that you are my disciples. This is how they will know that you're a Jesus follower, that you love one another. I mean, this is one of the last times he'll get with all of them together. He's only got a few more chances. He could have said a lot, right? I mean, he could have said, this is how the world will know that you're my disciples, that you have faith in me that doesn't waver. That would have made sense. This is how the the, the world will know that you're mine, that you follow the truth no matter what comes against you. They will know that you are my disciples if you give your life to spreading the word, the gospel. All of that would have made sense, but instead he goes, love one another. That's how they'll know. John, look at Peter. James, look at Thomas. Let's love each other. There's nothing more than that. Just, you guys just love each other. Just do that. That's the main thing. Why is the Apostle Paul so impressed with the fact that Philemon loves and cares for other believers? And why is Jesus so adamant and later the Apostle John and 1 John so adamant that the main thing is that we love each other? Why? Because it's so hard, right? Because it's not easy, because our desire for community and relationship and our inability to be trusted because of our sinfulness, those things will clash. This tension will at times cause you great heartache. 
It will at times derail your, your life. You'll reach out and you'll build a relationship and it will explode into a thousand pieces. You'll be betrayed and you will betray. You'll be hurt and you will hurt others. But love? Love isn't based on all that. Love is unconditional. Love is confronting when that's needed, confessing when that's what's needed, and always forgiving, no matter what. And listen, that doesn't mean that you let destructive people stuck in destructive behavior back into your life. Like this idea that we forgive and forget is just ridiculous. Like I, you need to forgive and forget. Okay, how? How do I make myself forget what they did? Right? Just forget. Okay. <laughs> but how? You can't forget. In fact, if you could forget, that would make forgiving a lot easier. Right? It's hard because you can remember. This idea of forgiving and forgetting just doesn't make any sense. You can forgive and remember, right? You can still remember and forgive. You have to because you can't make yourself forget. So this idea that we're going to forget and we're just going to walk back into the destructive behavior of this person is ridiculous. We're not going to do that. In fact, Proverbs says that a dog returns to his vomit. That's something to put on a t-shirt. Dog returns to his big letters vomit, okay? Put it on your wall, something like that. Bumper sticker. A dog returns to his vomit. What's it, what's it saying? It's saying you can forgive and not be a dog. You can forgive and not go back to your vomit. You can remember what happened, the destruction. You cannot go back into it and give that person a foothold in your life, but that doesn't change the fact that you have to forgive. That you have to forgive, that you don't you don't stew, you don't slander, you aren't bitter. I know this is hard. I know we're talking about real hurt. I know your tendency is to go, they don't deserve my forgiveness. But listen, beloved, one of the good things that the Apostle Paul prayed that would come out of Philemon's ministry One of those good things that Christ wants to work in you for your benefit is forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't just about what's deserved or what's confessed. It's about your heart. It's about you and the people you love. Not about them. Because the Bible says if you don't forgive, if you don't grant mercy, that a seed of bitterness will be planted into your heart. Now, I'm no master gardener, but I know from elementary earth science class that if you grab a seed, throw it in some dirt, put some water on it, and make sure it gets some sunlight, that eventually, although you can't see it at first, that seed is going to grow to where it can be seen by others. It's going to grow, depending on the seed, into a flower, a bush, or an oak tree, but it's going to be seen. The Bible says there's a seed that's planted. It's not something you want to grow. It's a seed of bitterness. It's in Hebrews 12, starting in verse 14. Check it out on the screen. It says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Listen to the language here. Don't let a root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble because you're not just going to cause trouble for you. You're going to destroy many. You're going to defile many. Refusing to forgive is like drinking poison and hoping your enemy dies. It makes no sense. You're not affecting them at all, are you? You You haven't seen them in years. How is your bitterness affecting them? It's you that's suffering. And if you don't let this go and forgive, eventually that root of bitterness will spring up and it'll hurt your spouse and it'll hurt your kids and it'll hurt your friends. I mean, we've all run into people who have let bitterness control their lives, right? People who are just bitter about everything, angry about everything, offended at everything, bitter. 
it, start, it started in them with a seed, just a seed, just a seed of bitterness that was planted when they refused to forgive. A tiny little thing that over time grew into something huge that fundamentally changed them. Hey, will you listen to me real close for a second? So much marriage trouble, so much family trouble is a result of old bitterness that hasn't been laid at the foot of the cross. What was done to you, you begin to do to others and what you couldn't let go of, they can't let go of. And Hebrews is saying, you're making a mess of things. You're making a mess. You've got to let it go. But pastor, you don't know what they did. It doesn't matter what they did to you. It only matters what has been done for you. It doesn't matter what they did to you. It only matters what has been done for you in Christ. If you're a Christ follower, forgiveness is not a choice you make, it's a choice you made. You can't receive the forgiveness of God and not give it out to others. I know this is difficult. I know it seems impossible. Some of you like your hate. You like your bitterness. Ain't no way I'm letting them get off scot-free. I get it. But it only hurts you and the people you love. Listen, I deal with this too. I had a bad relationship with my mom a lot of my childhood. I've forgiven her a million times. And yet sometimes a thought comes in or I'm reminded of something and all of a sudden just that old bitterness starts to rise and I'm like, dang it! And I just have to take it back to the cross and give it to Jesus and pray, God, I don't want this burning in me. I want any burning in me for you and you have been so good to me and so loving and granting mercy. Let me somehow supernaturally walk in that mercy and grace with others and then I walk out and I begin to live my life and I think I'm good to go and then all of a sudden something rises up in me and I go dang it and I go back to the cross and I lay it before the cross of Jesus Christ and I think I'm good and then all of a sudden something is revealed in me and I run back to the cross and I lay it back at the foot of the cross people say just give it to Jesus just give it to Jesus just give it to Jesus one time okay how How do we give it to Jesus and then just never have this issue again? That would be easy, wouldn't it? I don't think it works that way. I think it's a process of you taking it to the cross, living your life in grace and mercy and having it revealed in you again. Taking it back to the cross over and over and over until you are healed. But you're going to reap a whole bunch of destruction if you don't just let it go. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm saying it's necessary. Jesus forgave you an impossible debt. Now you go and do likewise. Forgive with love as you have been forgiven. Let's pray. Lord, we're talking about difficult things, real hurt, real betrayal, real wounds in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives. And So I just pray that, God, you would help us to open those back up because we need to and to forgive so that we can let go, forgive so that we can let go of bitterness and we can be healed. I realize, God, that we've got no shot at this without your help, without the Holy Spirit's help. And So I just pray, Holy Spirit, that in this moment you would just flood this room and you would just begin to work in our hearts because every single person deals with this. Whatever that hurt is, whatever that betrayal was, wherever the bitterness came from, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us forgive. That our forgiveness would be out of this great, deep, endless, bottomless well of your forgiveness in our heart and in our soul. That it wouldn't be based on what's confessed or what's deserved, but our forgiveness, God, would be based on your forgiveness towards us, your mercy towards us, your grace towards us, that 
that's infinite. Lord, where we are prideful, where we cannot get ourselves to forgive, where we say, not them, I can't forgive them, you don't know what they did, where that, wherever that is in this room, I pray in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, that you would let us release that, let us let that go, let us put that at your feet, let us give up vengeance and payback and let us stop drinking poison as if it will somehow hurt the one who hurt us. With your eyes closed and your heads bowed, we do this at the end of every service and the idea is just that you just take a moment and you just ask God one question. What are you saying, God, through this message to me specifically? Not to the person next to me or somebody I'm going to talk to after service, but what are you saying to me? It doesn't matter if you're a Christian for 40 years, four years, four months, not a Christian, doesn't matter. What is God saying to me? So just ask him that during, this next few, during these next few moments. But maybe you're in here and you... You've never given your life to Christ and as we talked through forgiveness and being forgiven, that's been one of the big hurdles for you because you know that Christians are supposed to forgive and you've got a lot of hate. You've got a lot of unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart and you don't want to let that go. You don't know how to let that go and you're going, I'm not, I haven't been forgiven. I've got no well to draw from here. But today you're saying, I want to give my life over to Christ once and for all. I want to, finally let this bitterness go and receive the forgiveness of God in my life, grace and mercy in my life. I want to be made new. I want to be changed. When I talked about that verse 6 in Philemon where he talked about how he wants you to have the full knowledge of every good thing, you're going, I've got no knowledge of any good thing. But today you want that. I just want to give you a moment just to, in your own words, in your own mind and heart, just to pray. Maybe it's the first time you've ever prayed. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I submit to you. I want to be different. I can't do this on my own. I need you, Jesus. Make me new. Just in your own words, surrender your life over to him. You don't need me to pray a special prayer. You don't need holy water or anything else. You just need a heart that wants to give your life to Jesus submit to him if that's you I would love to pray for you and I would love to walk through this journey with you and maybe another pastor to do the same or a prayer worker or a life group leader we would love to help you if that's you and you want to give your life over to Christ today with eyes closed and heads bowed you're saying I really want to give my life to Jesus I want to let go of this bitterness and I want to start a new journey with Christ today if that's you just so I can pray for you would you just lift your hand up Nobody's looking around, eyes closed and heads bowed. Yeah, I see that hand. Anyone else? I want to give my life over to Christ today. Yeah, I see that hand. I see those hands all over the place. I pray pray in Jesus' name, those with hands raised, God, that you would solidify this decision right now, that you would help them to give that bitterness away, to get rid of it, to let go of it, or whatever it is that's in the way between you and them. And today, they would wholeheartedly give you their lives, trust in you for their salvation, trust in you for forgiveness of their sins, and that they would submit themselves to you, that this would be not just a Sunday decision, but a Monday through Saturday decision, not an emotional decision made in an emotional moment, but one that goes deep. Lord, I pray that Christians, mature Christians, would come alongside them and help them. I pray that you would plant this seed of the gospel, the good stuff, deep into their heart, that it would grow instead of a root of bitterness. And in them, God, you would create this oak tree of faith. Today, Jesus. Maybe you're in here as we keep our eyes closed and heads bowed just for a moment longer. You're a Christian. You've given your life to Jesus, but man, you've got some bitterness in your heart. And I'll be honest with you, I think this is almost everybody. I don't think you're alone if that's you. But you're a Christian and you're going, man, I got to let go of this. I got to, I just don't know how. I, I, my heart is so 
hurt by this and my, I'm so angry at them and I can't possibly let them off scot-free. But what I'm trying to get you to think is and realize is that that doesn't matter, that, that you're punishing yourself, that you're drinking poison this whole time. This bitterness is going to defile and, and destroy everyone in your life. And so I'm, this is for you. This isn't about them. This is about what God is accomplishing in you. If you're here and you need to forgive somebody, I, I'm not going to make you stand up or say anything or be weird. or I'm not going to do anything like that. I'm just asking you to think about that. And maybe to make a decision in your heart right now that this is a real thing. You're not going to leave here and kind of go eat and forget about it, but this is a real thing that you need to deal with. And maybe you make a commitment right now to do something, take some action. Maybe you need to call somebody right after service. Maybe it's the person sitting next to you, a wife, a husband, a kid, that you need to talk to and you need to forgive and you need to reconcile with. Maybe it's a kid that's grown, that's been gone for 10 years. You haven't talked to him, but you're going to call him today. You're going to work through reconciliation. It doesn't matter what they did. It doesn't matter what they confess. It only matters what has been done for you in Christ. I encourage you to do that. Lord, I pray for those in here who are Christians or who just gave their lives to Christ today and they need help with this. I pray, God, that this message, this truth would go deep and it would create action, that we would forgive, we would reconcile. Where we feel that bitterness, we would daily put it down, let it go, give it to you, that vengeance would be yours and that ours would just be the job of reconciliation and forgiveness. We love you, Lord. We know that this is difficult. We trust you with it anyways. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. But here's my prayer for you before you go. May you continue to seek community with others despite what you've been through. May you forgive as you have been forgiven. And may your hurts be healed by the only one you can really count on, Jesus Christ. God bless you. I hope to see you next week as we go deeper into the book of Philemon.